This episode of AfroTech Talk is sponsored by Marie Fosasa. Marie Fosasa is an edtech company that provides digital skills through reskilling and upskilling for Africa's youth. Check out their website for available courses. You mentioned your nephew Joel enrolled for a web development course. How is that going? He did. It's actually thrilling to see that remainder skills he has acquired within a very short period of time. You know, we shall soon have a guru in the family. <laughs> Yeah, he loves the way the courses are segmented and tailored, to, uh, tailored towards uh, his needs, you know. Uh, he also says uh, the content is really, really educative and the mentors are wonderful and amazing. To all our listeners, click on the link below to get amazingly special discounts on any course that you enroll for through Afrotech Talk only. Coming up next. There are quite a number of barriers to entry and even some of those barriers still persist today. Uh, the first one was uh, digital literacy. <laughs> okay. Now, if you're talking about education technology, that means you need to have some level of proficiency with technology, sure. right? Yeah. Uh, and digital literacy is a very fundamental you know, aspect. Hi there, and welcome to this podcast. I am Andrew Locker. And I'm Diana Ayo. Thanks for tuning in. On the AfroTech Talk podcast, we speak to tech experts, individuals in the tech space, as well as young people about the latest trends and innovations in Africa to explore how tech is transforming their society. We filter our guests' profound insights into actionable guidance, empowering listeners to find inspiration and actively participate in the ongoing tech revolution. If you are new to the show or would want to recommend our podcast to your friends and family, our starter packs are a great place for you to get hooked. We understand that it can be a bit hard to get started. So for this, we have our episodes segmented into different topics that will have you started right away. Visit afrotechtalk.africa. Today, we speak to Robert Bobo Kelo, who is a tech enthusiast and also the CEO of Marifa Sasa, with several years of experience in the digital space. So uh, in uh, in today's in today's episode, we are joined by one really amazing man. I normally call him the digital nomad. Uh, thank you, thank you so much, uh, Andrew, for uh, you know inviting me to the show. I'm very excited about the conversation we have today, and uh, it's it's a pleasure to be a guest on this uh, this episode. I must say that uh, I'm an avid listener of the Afro Tech Talk uh, podcast. And so it's truly an honor to be uh, one of the guests on this particular podcast that I love so much. So just to get our curiosity out of the way, who are you? That's a good question. Who am I? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, you know, uh, you know, whenever people ask me that question before, you know, you know, we quickly go into saying, you know, what we do and all that. But, but of late, I've been really actually taking time to think about that question. Like, who am I? You know, uh, now some some people will call me an entrepreneur. Uh, they would be right, of course. <laughs> I uh, work as the founder of uh, Marifa Sasa Limited, which is an edtech startup. We'll you know learn more about that later in the show. Um, I'm a techie. Some would say that I I love technology, and uh, I do believe that technology can be a great great tool in terms of leveling the playfield, in terms of access to opportunities. Uh, and just enabling people to achieve a lot much more at much greater scale. Um, so that's why I'm very passionate about technology in general. Uh, 
Um, and then and some will also describe me as, um, you know, um, a true Ugandan, uh, you know, son of the soil. <laughs> Uh, and, and they would be right, you know, I um, um, was born in, in Uganda, I grew up here in Lira, in uh, the northern part of Uganda, uh, and um, some would call me a digital nomad, like he just did, uh, and, and they would also be right, you know, again, I, um, I just love experiencing the world, I think we live in a very beautiful world, and uh, very often, most people don't really get the chance to perhaps travel around the world and appreciate what, you know, different cultures has to offer. Uh, and so I think that is a lifestyle that technology allows us to do today where you can really work from anywhere. Uh, and so in that sense, you know, being a digital nomad is something that I definitely very much uh, relate to. Uh, but when I think about myself, you know, I've told you what people would describe me as, but I think for me, you know, I'm, 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 I'm just a very humble child of God. Uh, you know, and I think everything I do at the end of the day is to give glory to my Father in heaven. Uh, that, for me, is perhaps the strongest identity uh, that I have. And no one can take that away from me. Uh, those other things can change, but I think, for me, this is one identity that is a constant. Um, yeah. So I hope that gives you a bit of an idea of who I am, and I hope I've answered it, you know, that's, quite well. That's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> so because today we are looking at uh, at AirTech, yeah, in mm. uh, in your view, what's AirTech to to a common listener out there who doesn't really understand what this is? What's AirTech? Fantastic. I'm glad you asked, you know, that question because it's very important to put, you know, in the context what AirTech is. If you're, you know, the, the rest of this pod, you know, podcast will be really talking about AirTech. Uh, AirTech is actually short for education technology, uh, which is basically all about how we use technology and the different uh, information and communication technologies, really, to deliver learning. Um, if you think about education, education, you know, basically, you know, edtech then leads us to, to two words, <laughs> education and technology. So what is education and what is technology in a sense that would give us, you know, very basic understanding of what edtech is. Um, and, and education to me is just really the process of acquiring knowledge, right? Uh, and, and so using these uh, different, um, you know, information and communication technology tools, in that process of helping people acquire knowledge is really what uh, ed tech or education technology is all about. Wow. Yeah. I hope, I hope you who is listening to this has really picked that grasp. So maybe let's, uh, let's pivot into, into where we are today. So what really motivated you to get into ed tech? That's a very good question. In terms of the motivation, let me give you just a bit of background, right? So uh, I, I told you that I grew up in the northern part of Uganda in Lera, a very small town. You know, Andrew and you, we grew together. For those of you who are listening, actually, Andrew and I went to the same school many, many years ago before some of you were born. Okay, maybe not. <laughs> you know, uh, but but we have a very similar story in terms of what our bringing was. You know, and if you remember, you know, uh, you know, when we were growing up. This part of the country in Uganda was going through, you know, uh, towards the last years of uh, the political instability that was in the region. Um, and so, for me, really, this was my world, you know. Uh, Lera was really the definition of my world. We had never been exposed to anything beyond this uh, beautiful town of ours that we love so much, you know. Uh, but um, 
when I finished uh, when I pin- finished my P7, the primaries, uh, you know, uh, living examinations. Yeah, uh, we, s- we sat together. If you remember, yeah, yeah. I hope you still remember. <laughs> we sat together. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so when we finished this, you know, most people don't know, but um, for me it was actually almost the end of the road after finishing P7. Uh, the hopes of continuing the Form 1 were very slim uh, for one reason. You know, there were very uh, limited financial resources at the time. Uh, most of my elder siblings were either just joining university or were already at the university. Uh, and so they were, in a sense, the priority at that point, um, financially at least seeing them through. Uh, so the option for me was to either wait, uh, which really meant that I would stay out of school for some time, if effectively a dropout for that sense. Uh, but... It was not until, you know, uh, our headmaster, Mr. Ochola, if you remember, uh, when I went to get my P7 pass slip, he told me that this school in Kampala was offering scholarships and bursaries. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I got the, uh, the name of the school and then we went, I went home and told my parents, we literally found out, uh, found out about the school, we contacted the school and they said, indeed, there are 20 scholarships this year. Uh, 18 of them had already been taken, there were only two left. Uh, and so I had to make a trip that night, my first trip to Kampala, uh, you know, from Lira to, uh, to Kampala, you know, we left around 6 p.m. and by midnight I was in Kampala. And as you can imagine, it was a whole new world for me. I thought that I arrived in the New York, we used to see in the movies, you know, uh, all these light streets are very busy and, you know, uh, now Kampala doesn't have very high rise buildings, especially then, it's about 2009, you know, but yo. I thought I'd arrived, you know, uh, all those buildings look like skyscrapers to me. Uh, long story short, I ended up getting that scholarship that really changed my life. Um, so for the next four years, I would be at Turkish Light Academy. Then now I just call Light Academy um, and uh, finish my O-levels. Uh, after finishing O-levels, um, now the only option for me was to do really well and get another scholarship or go back to the village. Coming back to the village wasn't an option per se, so I had to give it my very best. Um, and luckily, uh, I think after finishing Form 4, the results came out and I'd done really well and I got another scholarship to start my Form 5. And it was during my early days of Form 5 around April, you know, this is 2013, I learned about uh, a scholarship opportunity with the United World Colleges, you know. And I did apply, I went for the interviews, long story short, I got another scholarship and I ended up going to Norway uh, for the two years of my A-levels. Uh, and while in Norway, uh, that's when I began to see, you know, I, I had to interact with a lot of people. So uh, the UWC Red Cross Nordic in Norway, you know, we were 200 students from about uh, 95 countries. So it was a, literally, you know, uh, uh, you know, we were, we were in our own bubble in a sense, uh, but it was like a small little world in the middle of nowhere, in the fields of Norway, right? Uh, and for the first time, I was interacting with people from all kinds of backgrounds, all nationalities. I remember my room, we were five of us in the room. It was me from Uganda. We had a guy from, uh, uh, you know, Poland, a roommate from Sweden. Uh, we had a gentleman from China. And then another colleague of ours from uh, Colombia, you know, uh, very diverse setting. Classrooms, teachers from all over the place. Uh, and that really opened the world to me. And uh, fast forward two years later, I uh, looking into universities and I applied to several universities in the U.S. And long story short, I end up at the University of Oklahoma. It was at the University of Oklahoma uh, that it really, you know, occurred to me as I saw that uh, this is when, you know, the talks around massive open online courses or MOOCs, MOOCs. in short, 
uh, were really, really taking shape. The likes of uh, Coursera, EDX, you know, were really, really beginning to pick up. And um, I began tinkering with some of these platforms. And I discovered that you could literally take a course from any university, especially the top universities in the world, for free. All you needed was a laptop and an internet connection or any device for that matter that can connect to the internet really, you know. Uh, and, and that's when I think these ideas of online learning started really taking shape in my mind. And it was around that time I'd met another colleague of ours, uh, you know, who then became actually one of the initial co-founders of Marifa Sasa, Ismail Ombo from South Sudan. Uh, his story is very similar to mine, you know. Uh, I was very much disrupted by war in South Sudan, ended up at the UWC in Italy. And so we met in Oklahoma, you know, a very unlikely place for Ugandan to meet another South Sudanese. <laughs> Uh, but that's what happened, and uh, we were, you know, we shared the same passion for education, really. Uh, but really, what the key inspiration was and still is for us was about, you know, democratizing access to opportunity. And I share my story because if you think about P7, if I did not get access to that opportunity of a scholarship, I was going to be a P7 dropout. After Form 4, there was another opportunity for a scholarship that allowed me to continue, and another one that allowed me to go to Norway, and another one that allowed me to, you know, move to the U.S., right? Uh, and in all these things, it's not because I was the most gifted or most talented. There's so many talented people. We all know, you're listening to this podcast, you know a lot of people who are very gifted, right? But, you know, it occurred to us that talent is very evenly distributed for the most of it. Right. But opportunity is not. And so for us, the inspiration was how do we use one, the exposure that we have gotten um, and two, the power that technology offers. Right. To democratize access to educational opportunities. Yeah. Right. Uh, both Ismail and I, we had seen firsthand the impact of quality education in our own lives through the different, uh, you know, scholarship opportunities and education opportunities that we had gotten. Uh, and, and, and one of the bigger burdens we both bore in our hearts was what can we do to ever pay back everyone that believed in us mm -hmm. and in a sense were able to offer us these opportunities, right? And the truth is there's nothing we can do to pay them back in terms of monetary sense, right? Perhaps the only thing we can do, and this is what we zero down on, is if we can show some level of appreciation to all these people, it would be through creating similar opportunities for other people. And that is really how Marifa Sasa was born with that premise of uh, using technology uh, to create educational opportunities uh, for other people. Uh, and as Mandela said, education is indeed the most powerful weapon that you can use to change the world. And we took that literally uh, and really started, uh, you know, building uh, from scratch. Uh, it did not work so well at the beginning. We built, I remember the first website we built was so heavy uh, that it would take forever to load. Uh, and that wasn't very contextual appropriate given that, you know, internet speeds and all that kind of stuff are still low. Uh, but in a nutshell, that's really uh, the journey of how uh, Marifa Sasa, uh, you know, was born, uh, what inspired it. Uh, and uh, you know how we started. And uh, for for our listeners, in uh, in our previous in our previous episode, we mentioned that you could actually take a course via the 
Marifa Sasa platform. So today we are actually hosting the founder of all that. It's really, really a privilege to have him uh, on our show. So, uh, so you know, when when you actually got into this, what what were the barriers to entry in airtech? I'm talking. This should uh, be maybe 2018. I know. I know. Uh, in most cases, barriers to entry keep changing. So yeah. then, what was uh, the barrier to entry in uh, yeah. airtech? Yeah, absolutely. So. There, there, there are quite a number of barriers to entry, and even some of those barriers still persist today. Uh, the first one was uh, digital literacy. Okay, now if you're talking about education technology, that means you need to have some level of proficiency with technology, right? Uh, and digital literacy is a very fundamental, you know, aspect of that. I mean, just think about our formal education, you know, in Uganda, many parts of the world. Uh, you need to first of all. Uh, most education is delivered in a particular language. Now, if you're in a country like Uganda, English is sort of uh, that key uh, language, right? So you need to know both the spoken and the written English. Uh, and that is sort of what literacy is really, you know, and understanding numbers, right? Uh, now, the same applies when it comes to education technology. When you're talking about technology, you need some basic literacy in terms of digital literacy for you to be able to effectively, uh, you know, utilize that platform. Okay, and so one of the key barriers of entry that we saw at the beginning was that most of the people we are targeting, and this way, you know, young Africans between the ages of 18 to 35 today, um, did not actually have uh, the foundational digital literacy to sit in front of a computer, use the internet, and be able to access online education. We use tools that are technology, uh, you know, oriented. Right. That was number one. Number two, uh, the yellow barrier had to do with the access to electronic devices. Mm. Again, most of we talked about massive open online courses. You know, the key ingredients are you need a computer or a smartphone or any device that can access the internet. Right. Now, most people do not have access to that. Okay. Mm. They don't know how to use it. They don't have it anyway. Uh, the third aspect is that. You know, most of these uh, educational resources tend to be online. Yeah. So internet uh, access becomes another key barrier. Limited access to internet uh, was another key barrier. Uh, those, I would say, were the three most critical uh, barriers uh, that we had to find ways of dealing with uh, and still continue to navigate even today, right? Uh, but there are a few things that we did at the beginning to kind of begin to alleviate that. Uh, and, and some of this, you know, you, you, you interacted with some of the solutions. I don't know if you knew exactly that was part of a bigger grand plan. Um, if you remember correctly, we launched a digital literacy center, you know, uh, deep in the village there. Uh, that was actually part of that long-term plan. It's like, okay, let's see if we can do something when it comes to digital literacy. So we set up a computer lab. Uh, you know, I remember, you know, we applied for a grant from the uh, the Davis uh, Projects for Peace. And the idea was very simple, you know, set up a computer learning center, uh, you know, make sure that the devices are there and where possible, uh, make internet access available, and then begin to teach foundational digital literacy from uh, the basics of Microsoft Office, understanding the internet, what is the internet, creating email addresses, you know, that was basically the goal uh, initially. And the bigger, what we hope to achieve was basically simple, you know, teach people how to use computers, expose them to the internet, and show them where they can find access to all these learning opportunities. And the rest will just fall in place, right? 
Uh, so, so, you know, we did that. We offered several trainings uh, here and there. Uh, and so that model seemed to have actually worked. But I remember, you know, that was, you know, there were only 10 computers in that place. Uh, and it's in one location, right? Uh, but there's so many people that needed to be reached. Uh, so we later on got involved with uh, the, dig, uh, the Google Digital Skills for Africa program. And I think you were part of that as well at some point where we started going to different locations to train people yeah. on how to, you know, uh, use the internet, you know, create email addresses, put businesses online and all those sort of things. Again, there it was about filling, you know, um, filling the gap in terms of uh, the, the digital literacy, right? Um, and then when it comes to, uh, when it comes to internet, you know, for the most of it, we have seen a tremendous uh, improvements, you know, in Uganda in general. Uh, internet costs have relatively gone down. Uh, but also when it comes to access to devices, we now see that um, the cost of a smartphone today uh, is significantly lower compared to back then. Uh, so a lot more people have smartphones today. A lot more people are using the internet today thanks to COVID, which was a big catalyst in terms of internet adoption. Uh, we see a lot more people now online uh, you know, using the internet with laptops and smartphones. Uh, so I think that's how some of those initial three barriers uh, have been uh, addressed. In, I, always, I always see Africa as a very unique continent, continent because every almost every challenge that we face in each country yeah. is like a default right, <laughs> to, right. uh, to, most, to most of uh, the country. So you mentioned something about, uh, you know, uh, the many languages or that all the cultural aspect yeah? mm, that is mm. uh, you know i think in africa we have maybe a little over a thousand uh, languages oh that yeah have been spoken yeah so how is that you know maybe a challenge when it comes to air tech you know uh, in africa right I, I think you know the diversity in terms of languages across africa well it could be perceived as uh, a challenge uh, but also, I think it presents a lot of opportunities, right? Uh, especially for those who are really focused on delivering last mile solutions. Um, obviously, we all know that uh, the language of the internet is pretty much English for the most of it today, right? Uh, without English, you have very limited, uh, you know, things you can do online, right? Uh, so also ensuring that, you know, most people can speak. But across Africa, we have several languages spoken. You have English, you have Arabic is a big one, and then you have uh, French as well, right? Uh, which tend to be, you know, the language of our colonial masters, so to speak. Uh, but, but I think uh, these three languages uh, have, in a sense, you know, made it a little bit easier for us to communicate even across barriers. Uh, in spite of uh, the limitations that sometimes you know, our local languages could present, right? Uh, because if you look at Uganda alone, there are 50-something languages. You know, you go to a place like Nigeria <laughs> and immediately there are, you know, hundreds or even not thousands of languages, actually, you know. Uh, so uh, looking at how we can, um, of course, first of all, rely on the uh, mainly spoken languages uh, to begin to deliver learning, but now we see solutions where, you know, certain content is now being created in local languages like Swahili, for example, Luganda, you know. Uh, and, and that, I think, uh, is also going to be uh, a game changer in places, especially for Swahili. I see Swahili as a very Pan-African language. Yes. Uh, and so uh, I think looking in terms of how we can continue to bridge those barriers when it comes to, uh, I mean, uh, 
the uh, the the different languages uh we should begin to uh, you know first of all i think the languages have to make of course economic sense right uh putting on my you know entrepreneur hat um if i'm training uh it's expensive to create content right uh especially if that's being subsidized or anything so you want to be into create content in a language that is spoken by the most people you can reach right and then that begins to trickle down uh but um i think we are seeing a move now to uh, a lot of local languages uh you know getting online as well so whereas english is the language of the internet for the most of it today we now see a lot of local languages coming up and we have seen also you know a rise especially due to uh the rise of some new platforms that that make it very easy for people to create content uh, a case in point is tiktok you know you don't need to speak english uh to be on tiktok you know whether you you know uh, you uh, you speak law whatever language you speak uh you can just create content and there's going to be an audience of people that actually you know are consume that kind of content uh so we're seeing an increase in terms of uh, the linguistic diversity online and i think that also points us in the direction where we'll see a lot of educational content also now being produced in the different languages across africa uh so whereas it can be a challenge it's also you know an exciting opportunity uh, especially for educational content creators uh the target you know those larger groups of uh you know language uh, speakers in their different parts of africa what what solution uh, you know what greatest solution is uh, edtech actually creating uh, for for the continent mm-hmm. we understand there are just so many there is fintech we have them all over the place so yeah. what what problems are you actually solving uh, in the continent right so when it comes to edtech and so far democratizing access mm-hmm. to educational content right uh, i'll give you a simple example uh, if you think about a traditional school setting right by virtue of being physical there are already some inherent limitations to that right classrooms have particular sizes they can only accommodate a certain number of students mm-hmm. every school has a certain number of teachers mm-hmm. right and uh, you know the student teacher ratio uh, in many of our african classrooms are far from ideal right uh which shows that there's very high demand in terms of educational content but also on the other side of uh, you know the supply and the quality of that in terms of the teachers and all that is very low now it's not written anywhere it's not like one of the 10 commandments <laughs> you know that a teacher in a particular school should only teach a classroom of 50 you know uh in their particular part of africa or whatever country they're in you know uh but that is a limitation that the current system offline system offers to us now edtech actually comes to address that that a good teacher in any part of africa can reach learners from any part of the world right uh if they're able to deliver that content online now that is radical right uh and and that is one tremendous power uh of uh, of edtech secondly today you can learn anything pretty much online there are lots of free resources out there there are lots of paid content out there uh normally the default is the university of youtube yes. right <laughs> 
If you go to YouTube, you can learn anything, right? That is part of educational technology, right? And uh, and, and teachers who understand that are, are using that. If you go to YouTube and enter any topic, you're going to find video content for that, you know? Uh, and you can learn from that. When I was at the university, sometimes, you know, when the math teacher was doing, you know, calculus three, and the math teacher, you know, is doing the stuff, you know, in that lesson of like 80 minutes, and I'm like, I don't get it, you know? <laughs> Uh, I would simply go to YouTube and learn the same thing in much shorter time and get better explanations than my professor, you know. Uh, so, uh, ATEC really has that ability of ensuring that, uh, you know, learners can access diverse content uh, about diverse topics uh, from diverse teachers all over the world, right? Uh, that's a very powerful thing that I think sometimes we don't really uh, appreciate how powerful that is. Um, the other aspect is in terms of uh, actually uh, ensuring that uh, the cost of education, right, uh, becomes more affordable. Yeah. EdTech has that power to do that as well. Uh, again, if you think about our traditional school system, like why should school fees be increasing every year? Because, you know, the cost of running physical properties, you know, in schools, the cost of living is increasing, right? Mm -hmm. So by virtue of that, we see the cost of education also going up, yeah. you know? Uh, but sometimes it doesn't make sense. You know, people just increasing cost, but we don't see an improvement in the value that is being delivered, right? Uh, but, you know, running a physical school, you know, you need to pay utilities and all these sort of things, right? Uh, so it drives the cost of education quite high. But when it comes to uh, ATEC, we are able to significantly actually lower costs, especially if now people, case in point, think about during COVID, you know, uh, where a lot of uh, schools around the world, people are learning remotely online and no one was in the physical school. It goes on to tell us that education can continue, yeah. learning can continue, yeah. even if we're not at school, right, in that physical place. Uh, perhaps it begins to help us to, you know, redefine what a school actually is, <laughs> you know, uh, because we, know, we tend to limit our thinking of a school to this physical place with buildings and teachers and learners come and then, you know, but that can now happen anywhere, you know. So the activity of learning doesn't need to be confined into some four walls, right? Uh, and really, that is what ATEC makes possible. Uh, so I think if we can, you know, begin to move towards really, uh, you know, improving the infrastructure that makes it possible for edtech to thrive, right? For online learning uh, to thrive, we will see, you know, uh, massive, massive um, results when it comes to uh, the number of uh, people having access to education opportunities, uh, as well as uh, ensuring that, uh, you know, our teachers are actually empowered to have more impact right uh, a single teacher that teaches in one school for their entire career you know uh, and another teacher that just teaches online one of those two people will have a significantly higher impact the number of learners they can reach and i think we know exactly which of those two are <laughs> exactly <laughs> Okay, so recently you've uh, you've actually been uh, been moving throughout Africa. So what 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 lessons you know would we take? You know, or may, okay, maybe uh, I'll first of all bring this to a country level, yeah, yeah, to Uganda, and then we'll ex actually expand it through the region and then throughout yeah. the continent. So what do you think has to be done differently, according to your experience, yeah, 
mm-hmm. that is currently not being done but really has to be done to make sure you know airtech can really thrive let's start with uh, uganda then yeah. we'll go you will span over yeah yeah cool okay no the first thing and uh, you know we've been preaching this for a long time at marifasasa uh to understand what needs to be done better we need to first examine what hasn't worked okay, right wow. uh and, and and one thing we have seen uh in you know we have been to a number of schools whenever technology is introduced the traditional approach tends to be one where tech is just brought into the classroom and thrown at teachers mm. we have seen interventions where smart boards are brought projectors are brought uh, but nobody is really trained to effectively <laughs> use those things right mm. and so people will try to figure it around it and you know a few months later they'll just resort to their chalk and the blackboard <laughs> right besides a very beautiful projector and smart board okay uh why is that the case i think the fundamental issue is that most of the failed attack interventions in the past failed because they forgot a very critical aspect of it which is ensuring that the teachers in the classrooms were actually empowered to make the most of that tech right mm-hmm. now remember that most of these teachers are standing in front of what we'll call uh, the digital natives you know people who are born with smartphones in their hands okay uh so and and the the rate at which they learn a lot of these tech tools is much quicker than some of the teachers that are standing in front of them you know no teacher wants to stand in front of a, you know a group of learners and feel intimidated you know they want to be in charge you know most of our teachers are lazy you know uh so by not involving our teachers in any education technology intervention we actually risk you know uh seeing all the sort of failures in terms of these interventions okay so what i think needs to be done is of course ensuring that um, we are having these teachers at the center of this edtech interventions during covid we ran several training programs uh for teachers online you know how to use technology okay because we knew most of them had to find out to use zoom for the first time you know they never heard of the word zoom uh except as an english word uh and now they're saying the zoom you have to teach online and, and all that you know screen sharing and all the sort of tools uh that is what needs to be done we need to make sure that our teachers are actually being trained now from a more you know systemic level uh technology has to be integrated into the teacher training curriculum right when we go to our teacher training colleges we have to make sure that in the curriculum uh, and as we are preparing them to go and teach especially in this new era there has to be a strong technology training component in the teacher training curriculum so that by the time they go into the classroom they are very well aware and exposed uh to this new uh technology so how to use them but also for the most of it uh they have been fine tuned with the mindset right uh of how to use technology uh, because the tools keep changing all the time right uh but once you understand and you appreciate the value of that then you begin to embrace the learnings constant learning as tools keep changing um you know the end goal is really the same which is to use all these tools to improve learning outcomes right uh so that is a very key uh intervention or perhaps one of the things i strongly believe uh could be done better 
the extent to which we prepare our educators, our teachers, on how to effectively use technology in their classrooms to improve learning outcomes. Yeah. But in, in, in spite of, uh, in spite of uh, all, these, all these challenges, we see that some countries have fairly done okay when it comes to you know, air tech adoption and actually you know, the tech adop adoption in, in general. You know, in East Africa, we have a very good example of, of Kenya. They've really done well. You know, when we go to West Africa, Nigeria is actually at the top. You know, South Africa, these countries are pretty done well when it comes to adopting this. So what, what lessons uh, does uh, the continent actually have to draw from these, uh, these three countries? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's very interesting that you mentioned the likes of Kenya, right? Uh, and, and Kenya is a good place to look at because it, it, it wasn't just an overnight success. You know, they have definitely uh, been very deliberate about that. You know, there was the one child, one PC sort of, uh, you know, tab uh, campaign that they did in Kenya. Uh, and, you know, it did not succeed immediately. Yeah. We, we, you know, I, uh, I remember coming across one of those tablets uh, from Kenya uh, in a market in Uganda here, right? Uh, <laughs> But, but, you know, for me, I think it was the intention behind that, you know, that uh, they actually thought that it's important to ensure that every learner in every classroom has access to these tablets, right, uh, and access to a PC. Uh, and I'm sure they learned a lot from that, and that's why we can talk about Kenya as a good example of uh, how, you know, adoption of technology in, uh, in the classroom or in A-Tech in general. Uh, so what we see in these countries that you mentioned is, of course, a very deliberate um, move from a policy level right uh, at the national level uh, to ensure that uh, something is done in as far as democratizing access to this uh, and i think what they did for example is of course access we, we talked about the three barriers right uh digital literacy uh you know as a key barrier to air tech uh, and so addressing that is something i think they've gone a little bit ahead of us but also the other key one which interventions like you know this uh, one pc per child uh the access to devices, you know. Uh, so when you see those kind of deliberate moves from uh, from governments or the policy level, ensuring that people actually have access, you know, uh, that's a very good one. The other thing is when it comes to uh, access to the internet, you know, again, you know, Kenya is a good example, you know, the inter internet speed in Kenya is now very, very good, perhaps the best in East Africa. Uh, the cost is also relatively very affordable, right? Uh, so, so we see that, uh, these are, you know, key inter infrastructural uh, interventions that uh, have very huge dividends when it comes to, uh, you know, ease of adoption. And then the third or fourth component really is, um, at the end of the day, the government's role is to just create an enabling environment uh, for private actors like Marifa Sasa to then come in, right, make that environment attractive. Uh, remove any barriers, and if you can't make anything better, just don't make it worse, right? <laughs> you know, uh, so so that then begins to attract key private sector players who then you know actually go in terms of delivering uh, these edtech solutions in an environment that allows for them to thrive while actually creating very very uh, you know lasting uh, impact. So I think that um, you know I mean again you look at some of the uh, leading edtech companies across Africa, they come from some of those countries, right? You know Kenya. The number of edtech players, their startups. Nigeria has a number of them. Uh, in South Africa, we have a number of them. Even programs like Ingenie that's just more focused on edtech solutions. Um, you know, but that is as a result of an ecosystem 
that allows for uh, entrepreneurs and startups in this particular sector to actually uh, operate in uh, a conducive manner, right? Uh, and make it actually attractive uh, for them to tackle some of these uh, problems uh, without um, any other unnecessary barriers and obstacles and hoops to jump. Yeah. I recently stumbled across uh, some, uh, some report from, from World Bank Mm. In which they projected that you know by, by twenty by the year twenty thirty there will be over two hundred and thirty million jobs that yep. will be there, and then again uh, you know this these jobs will actually require that people actually have you know digital skills, and I see mm. that AirTech is uh, the best player. Or you know we can put all our bets into, yeah. into AirTech. I yeah. know they say never put all, t- all your eggs in one, one basket. basket. <laughs> but this one, I think we can actually, you know, just put every egg in this basket. Right. So out of out of uh, this demand, yeah, in terms of you know the job, the job, and then the skilling bit, they project that you know there still needs to be you know uh, six hundred and fifty million trainings uh, that has to be done to kind of like uh, match to this demand. Mm. How do you see AirTech playing a role in this? Absolutely. So you mentioned it very well. The numbers are very clear, right? 230 million, uh, you know, jobs that will require digital skills, uh, over 630, 650 million training opportunities as a result of that. Uh, now, one thing that uh, I mentioned earlier is the power of uh, technology to actually, you know, allow us to uh, deploy educational solutions at scale, yeah. right? Uh, Technology at the end of the day is just an enabler. It's a tool, right? Uh, which means we have to first get the basics right. We have to understand, you know, uh, what is the curriculum that uh, we're delivering that actually prepares people with these skills that are going to be relevant and in demand. Uh, how do we ensure that, uh, you know, we're engaging both the educators and the private sector to really inform the kind of skills that need to be, people need to be trained in, right? Uh, that actually, uh, you know, good for society. Once those basics are done, technology now comes in terms of helping us deliver that at scale, right? The only way we're going to be able to deliver, you know, 650 million trainings uh, in the next seven years, that's when 2030 is, actually yeah. six and a half years, right? Uh, it's not going to be through physical classrooms. True. It cannot be, right? It's going to be through that, but most importantly, uh, by using some of these educational technology solutions online education that ensures that we can deploy learnings to millions of people in one go, right? So I think platforms that deliver, you know, online, in-demand digital skills uh, are going to be very, very pivotal in helping us to achieve those numbers, right? Uh, So that's a very critical role uh, that, um, you know, uh, A-Tech will play. And, and at Marifa Sasa, we are very committed to that as well. You know, uh, right now we are very focused on delivering digital employment opportunities. We are looking at those 230 million jobs uh, that require digital skills. And we're asking ourselves, what are those skills that are needed, right? Uh, is it web development? Is it digital marketing? Uh, is it virtual assistance, right? And then using the market... Uh, demands of those skills to dis- to inform our design of the courses the choice of curriculum uh, that we uh, actually uh, you know pursue right to make sure that when we are training people we are actually in touch with the market forces right so that after learning a particular skill you know exactly where to apply it okay and that's where the jobs aspect 
uh, comes in. Uh, but I do believe that without unnessing the power of educational technologies, we won't be able to train the 650 million people. And so edtech or you know, technology platforms is really what uh, increases significantly our chance of training young Africans at that scale. That was our conversation with Robert Bobo Kello, the CEO of Marifa Sasa. From AfroTech Talk, this is the first part of this episode. Stay tuned for the second part. And if you'd like to get started or would rather love to advance in your tech skills, we recommend enrolling for a course at Marifa Sasa Academy. And just in case you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please do subscribe, like, share, and follow on the different p- platforms. This podcast is hosted and directed by Andrew and Diana, edited and produced by Marifa Sasa Studios for Afro Tech Talk.